0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Neufeld. Well, today we begin an exciting new series called The Adventure of Prayer. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 10, as Dr. Neufeld brings us a message entitled, Prayer.
1: Prayer. What is it? Why is it important? How do you do it? What does it accomplish? Well, those are four very important questions, and I wish to address those four questions this week as, for one week, I want to discuss the vital matter, of prayer. But before I go any further, let me begin with a little word of assurance to anyone listening. You know, a week talking about prayer, I know what many of you are probably thinking. You're thinking, I haven't prayed as much as I should, and I haven't been intimate with God as I should, and I've heard harsh things said about people just like me. I mean, how can you say you know God when you hardly talk to him? Stuff like that. I've heard that before. And so perhaps you, my dear listener, a week on prayer just seems like a week of getting browbeaten rather than an invitation into pleasure. Well, might I ask you to stay with me for one week. I invite you to simply listen to five messages on prayer, what it is and how to do it, and then an invitation even if you're unsure of yourself, to enter into the adventure. Yeah, you heard of it, the adventure of prayer. So let's start with the simplest of all questions. What is prayer? And the answer, prayer is communicating with the God who made you. That's the simple answer, but after that, it gets a little more complex. How do we communicate with God and what should we communicate with God? See, many of you have heard of the elements of prayer, Worship is a part of praying, that involves expressing delight in God and noticing His attributes. And then there's this matter of thankfulness, that is, for His blessings in our lives, everything from the food we eat and the friendships we enjoy to an acknowledgement that God is daily providing for us. Then there's the matter of bringing our requests before God, asking for the stuff that we need. Of course, there's also the matter of confession of sins and humbly accepting His grace of forgiveness. There's also the matter of consecration, which is a renewal of our love and commitment to Him and asking Him to fill us afresh with His Holy Spirit. And finally, there's, there's a mystical, I mean, it's a hard-to-explain element of prayer. We find ourselves swept into the very presence of God. Yeah, the kind of communication we have with God is, is multifaceted. It's, it's layered, and it's well for all of us to learn more how to pray. That's what we're going to do. But it's also important to stand back for a moment and begin to ask why it is that prayer is so important. So think of it this way. Why is marriage important? See, many people don't know, and in the day in which we live, marriage seems less attractive simply because many people don't know what it's for. Or here's another example. Tell a six-year-old why 12 years of education is essential to life, and you can explain it And then you can foster a deep love for it by stressing its importance and the advantages that come from it. So I hope you're getting the idea. All Christians need to, before we jump into dissecting the various elements of prayer, we need to spend some time simply asking and answering the question of why prayer is so important. So where do we start? Well, let's start with Jesus' teaching on asking and receiving from God. It's found in Luke 11, 11 to 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So your heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts to his children, and surely the implication is that. Since we have a heavenly Father who loves to bless his children, shouldn't that knowledge embolden us to ask him? So as we go along in this series, I'm going to say a great deal about how it is that we, as those who have been saved by the blood of our Savior, now have the boldness to enter the throne room of grace. But this passage teaches us that as we go, we're going to find that the Father is not reluctant to bless. He's not reluctant to care for our needs. We come to the one who loves to give. Indeed, so free is this teaching of Jesus that just before he compared evil fathers giving gifts to their children with an altogether good and loving God giving gifts to his children, while well, Jesus introduced this teaching with a promise. Luke eleven nine to 10 says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Now, clearly, we will need to examine why sometimes we ask things that are not given to us, but let's leave that to a later time. For now, would you notice the heart of a loving and giving Father urging us to come into His presence and to bring our request to Him? And it's not as if this is the only time that Jesus speaks that way, urging us to come to the Father. Matthew 21, verse 22, Jesus says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And furthermore, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructed us to regularly pray, give us this day our daily bread. That is, provide me with what I need to sustain myself this day. Jesus says, go ahead and ask. So if you're gonna indulge me for just a moment longer, you're gonna see that I'm getting at something quite significant. So hang in there with me. Having noticed that Jesus encourages us to ask for everything we need, encouraging us with words that tell us that our Heavenly Father is inclined to be generous, well, we need to consider Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That is, our Father is not looking for eloquence nor is he impressed by the length of our prayers or any other thing that we might think will bolster our case before the Father. That is, you know, cries of desperation or deal-making or anything else. Rather, have the quiet confidence that your Father in heaven is deeply concerned for you and the one who loves you already knows your situation and that which you desperately need before you ask. Ah, but here, I have on more than one occasion heard Christians complain. Since it is no surprise to any of us that an altogether, all-knowing God knows what I need, and since it's true that God is not miserly about his gifts and, and he wants to give a superabundance to his children, well, why then should we bother to ask at all? I mean, why shouldn't the Father give without the need for prayer? Now, we know that's a significant question because of the teaching that we find in James chapter 4, verse 2. It says, "'You desire and do not have, so you murder.'" You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So that's to say that there are some things that the people James is writing to desperately need, and they've never received those things from God. I mean, for one, James says, because whenever they go to God, they're going with the wrong motives. But even that, notwithstanding, James says there's another reason you're going without in your lives. You've not been asking God. See, God expects you to ask. Indeed, from this, we can assume that there are times when God deliberately withholds something from our lives, some things that we desperately need. So, why is that? Well, the answer is actually not hard to come by. God wants us to have a dependent relationship with Him. He wants us never to forget that He, and not luck and not our abilities or not some superstitious delusion we have entertained, but He— He alone is the giver of good gifts to his children. God wants us to be God-conscious. And from that, I have to assume that prayer does teach us a great deal. It teaches us to be humble. I mean, where do good gifts come from? They come from God, not from us. It also teaches us to be very mindful of God's grace. You know, God is constantly giving. He's never ceasing in his concern for his children. That is, prayer does bind us to God in in some wonderful ways in which God's activities in our lives become abundantly plain. So, if you've been patient with me, I've promised that I'm getting to something that I think is quite significant. See, occasionally I've read articles on prayer, and some are philosophical, in which a theologian will discuss the sovereignty of God and that all of God's purposes are fixed Even as far as David will say in Psalm 139, verse 16, that God has a book in which God already fixed all the days which he had purposed for me. So God is meticulous in his ordering of all things and that all things are according to his purpose. And if that's so, what does prayer do? And So some theologians argue that all that prayer does is make you and I aware of God's ordering of our lives. It brings us into submission to his will. But it doesn't actually change anything. am after all, how can a changeless, all-wise God be changed by human prayer? See, I'm not sure I can answer that puzzle only to say that I know this. Scripture says that prayer does change things. And while I might not be able to understand how it can be so, I cling to this mystery that it does.
0: As a ministry team at Back to the Bible Canada, we'd like to express our incredible gratitude for your kindness and generosity in helping the ministry exceed expectations during our October one-for-one match campaign. Thank you for investing in Bible teaching across Canada. Your partnership helped realize the entire pledge goal, so thank you. What a faithful God we serve. And please remember to request your free copy of Dr. John's new teaching series on CD, The Adventure of Prayer. The series is made available this month only to anyone who asks, and it's Back to the Bible Canada's way of making quality Bible teaching available at no cost and investing in the spiritual growth of people across Canada. So thanks for all you do. And remember to receive your free copy of The Adventure of Prayer or to continue to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, Call us at 1-800-663-2425, or visit us at backtothebible.ca.
1: Consider the evidence that prayer not only changes things, but also at times it changes the way God acts towards us. Consider the evidence. I'm going to Exodus 32 and That chapter is written in the wake of Israel constructing a golden calf idol in the wilderness and then proclaiming that this golden calf, rather than God, is the reason that Israel came out of Egypt. And then God responds. He tells Moses that he's going to consume Israel and then start again, making Moses the father of a new nation of God's people. And this turn of events brings Moses to prayer. See, I noticed that Moses doesn't say, you know, oh, God, you you foresaw these events from the beginning and clearly in destroying Israel, you'll show that you oppose a people who oppose you. I submit to your plans and all of this. And so I'm just going to sit here on Mount Sinai and watch as you burn this people to the ground. Your will be done. Amen. Can't wait to see what's going to happen next. You know, Moses doesn't pray that way. So listen to a part of his prayer. It's found in Exodus 32 verses 11 and 12. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Well, that's just only the shortened version. There's more to be said but I'm not going to quote all of it, Moses, well, he's audacious. In his prayer, he reminds God of God's eternal purposes in choosing these people for himself. And then, fascinatingly enough, in response to that, what I would call one of the great prayers of the Bible, there comes a conclusion. Exodus 32 verse 14 says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. That's to say, Because Moses prayed in the way he did, God didn't destroy this people. Israel was saved. Now, look, this passage requires a great deal of reflection. See, on the one hand, we might argue that this moment of crisis, well, it became a test for Moses and not for God. You know, Moses might have been tempted when Israel becomes so disobedient and hard to handle to simply walk away from God's assignment. And God was, in effect, opening the door for Moses to go by saying, I'll destroy this people. But Moses, who himself was learning to be faithful, had to reflect on God's promises. He knew that it was through Abraham and not through Moses that God would bring salvation to the world. And so, in effect, Moses is praying in the will of God. And so we might argue that you know, Moses' prayer was all about learning to submit to God's will and not to superimpose his own will on God. And if we read the passage that way, I think we're reading it rightly. God had already determined the destiny of Israel, and this time of disobedience would not derail God's purposes. And if we see Exodus 32 through those eyes, I think we understand it rightly. Moses is in no place to lecture God about what's right. Rather, God is, through Moses' prayer, teaching Moses to submit to him, to learn to pray rightly. That's not all we should see of this prayer. I mean, clearly, Exodus 32 is written to teach us that, well, prayer really does change things. Somewhere in all of this, there's got to be a mystery. I mean, we have no doubt that God had fixed his eternal purpose on Israel, and so Israel couldn't have been destroyed, and yet, we also know that God answered the prayers of Moses as he pled for Israel. God had mercy on them. See, in a sense, it's not unlike a great many things that we find in the Bible. Let me suggest one example. You know, Ephesians 1 verse 4 tells us that for believers, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God's eternal election provides great assurance to all believers that our salvation is fixed in the eternal purposes of God. But I've seen all manner of believers abuse this wonderful and beautiful truth. I once heard one man who had unbelieving children, well, he said to me, well, God just didn't choose my children. And I stared at him in shock. See, I was reminded of Moses' very important words that are found in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So the secret things include God's eternal purposes fixed in his electing grace. Who are we that we should say, I understand God's purposes or even I understand the way in which his election works. I mean, these are the secret things that are in the eternal counsels of God's wisdom. Trying to explain these things will always launch us into error We simply don't have the eternal wisdom of God when it comes to every single person. But we do have the things that are revealed. And the things revealed are this. God responds to the prayers of His people. Rather than speculating about God's eternal decrees regarding His children, this man should have been on his knees pleading with God for his children. He should have taken comfort in the fact that these children had a believing mother and father, who had been obligated by God to plead the case of these children before the throne of heaven. These parents should have been claiming promises in the Scripture that were made not only for them, but also for their children after them. They should have reminded God that he has mercy on all who do not deserve mercy, and on the basis of that should have without ceasing continually lifted up their children before the throne, and they should have reminded God that these are the children that he had given them. Make them believe, O Lord God. See, I'm making a point here. You know, we can spend a lifetime trying to understand how God can be both meticulously sovereign, and that as Jesus reminds us, you know, that not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from the determined will of the Father, or that all our days were already written about in the book that our Father had composed even before one of them came to be. See, I'm glad to celebrate those eternal truths. But I also want to celebrate another glorious truth. God responds to the cries of his children. He hears their prayers. He acts out of his superabundant goodness in which it is his delight to respond to our requests. All that to say that prayer remains a mystery to all of us. How is it that prayer changes things? seems almost incomprehensible, but it does. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14 says, "'If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land.'" And so why pray? Or what's so valuable about praying? Prayer is communication directed to the eternal God, whose purposes are fixed in the heavens, and yet this eternal God, in some mysterious fashion which we will never understand, responds to the requests of his people and acts out of concern for them. Should we fail to pray, so much of what we might need will not be given to us. God has so designed it that our relationship with him should be carried out in just such a way that we would go to him and he would respond to his children in love and mercy. That's how our relationship with God functions. So you might remember that I began today with four questions about prayer. What is it? Why is it important? How do we do it? What does it accomplish? You know, I've answered three of those four questions prayer is communication with the eternal God, which is astonishing. It's important because God has designed our lives in such a way that we should be aware of our dependence on God. Prayer is His chosen means, whereby that principle of dependency is experienced in daily life. What does it accomplish? Well, apparently, God acts when we pray. He heals, He sets free, He saves the lost, He forgives sins, all on the basis of believing prayer. But there's one question of the four that I've left unanswered until now. How do you do it? I don't want to answer the question in terms of posture, that is, should it be on our knees or should we remove our caps from our heads? That's not the question I have in mind when I ask the question of how. I mean this, how is it possible for a sinful creature to approach the altogether holy king of the universe? I mean, who could just knock on the door of the office of the President of the United States and enter into the Oval Office and ask for stuff? And if you couldn't do such a thing, consider how much greater is the great king who, as Isaiah describes him, well, in Isaiah 40, verse 12, let's let him describe it, who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. That is... How do we enter into the presence of such a God and bring our requests? The Bible says we must have an advocate before the Father. So much more needs to be said. So welcome to a series on prayer.
0: John, today is the beginning of our series on prayer, but also it's Remembrance Day. And a suitable day, I think, to think about those that gave so much and continue Give so much.
1: Yeah, I think it is important for us to uh, remember those who have laid down their lives for our freedoms. And I think it's quite in order to say to those who have served in the military, to say thank you for your service and to honor them. It's also good for us to remember that whenever Jesus came upon a centurion, military men in his day, he always dealt with them in very positive terms. And so I think there is, from our Lord himself, a model that's laid down for us. And so on this Remembrance Day, I think it's quite worthwhile to thank God for those who have served in military, who've put on uniforms, and many who have paid the ultimate price. Thank you, Lord, for their sacrifice.
0: Thanks so much, John, and thanks for joining us today. And remember to join us tomorrow as we continue our series, The Adventure of Prayer, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Today might be the day for you to consider becoming a Back to the Bible Canada monthly partner. You know, hundreds of people from coast to coast to coast have chosen to support the Bible teaching ministries of Back to the Bible Canada in this way. They've become a part of the foundation of this ministry. You know, your monthly gift, whether it's $10, $50, $100 or $500, sustains this Bible teaching ministry. So if you've been blessed and challenged by this ministry and want to invest in the ongoing Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld, well, give us a call today or sign up online. Choose to become a monthly partner call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Back to the Bible Monthly Partners, together we teach the Bible.